From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. A new year brings new possibilities and opportunities, but unfortunately, the arrival of 2022 didn't spell the end of COVID, as the virus continues to have an impact on every aspect of society, college sports included. After protocols postponed last week's SEC opener for men's basketball, Mike White's team returned to the court on Wednesday after an unexpected two-week hiatus. On today's show, We'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter to discuss basketball's outing against Alabama, the latest twists and turns of the transfer portal, sky-high expectations for the start of gymnastics, and all-time strange sports stories in the PAT. Then, senior guard Myron Jones drops by to talk about transitioning from Penn State to UF, the chemistry of team transfer, and why he started his own podcast. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Our first roundtable of 2022 is officially underway. Gators Scott, Gators Chris are with us. Um, And let's start by talking basketball and, and Chris. You know, the, the SEC opener against Alabama, or what turned into the SEC opener against Alabama, was really a story of two halves. But unfortunately for Florida, the second half proved uh, much more relevant in the final outcome. Yeah, it was. And, and, and after the game, uh, the, the topic of conversation, certainly by the players and the coach, were about the, how Alabama was the, uh, was, was the one that, that brought the energy out of the locker room. Florida led by three at halftime. Alabama scores the first five points. Then it was a little bit back and forth, back and forth. But then Alabama just took control of the game with this wicked 15 to one uh, run that happened so fast. And it, and it was all uh, predicated by Florida's inability to make a, to make a shot. I mean, I want to sit here and talk about the energy, but I really don't because uh, everything I was focused on in the story where they were talking about this, I mean, you look at the stat sheet and you see that Alabama had 20 offensive rebounds. Wow. Okay. They forced, 20 turnovers by the Gators. Both those are season highs, uh, if you want to look at it. And that led to 20 more shots by Alabama. Hmm. So, um, you know, you're not going to beat a team as good as Alabama, especially not a, like a, a guard-oriented team like Alabama that thrives on, on extra opportunities and live ball turnovers and getting out in transition. And, and, and you know, they could talk about Alabama being the more energetic team, and, 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 and yes, they were, but – I mean, ball security has to be uh, absolutely paramount against a, against a team that thrives on those things like a, like a NATO's coach team. And does energy have something to do with that? Probably because energy uh, uh, bleeds into concentration. And there were just some some horrific moments uh, by Florida in terms of taking care of the ball. Tyree Appleby had a couple. Uh, Flan Fleming had a couple. I think he was definitely not himself uh, coming out of uh, – again, it, Florida was coming off, off this COVID pause where a bunch of guys had not practiced in a while. And people don't think that matters. It, it does matter, but nobody was make, using that as an excuse. I have to add that. Um, 
because uh, Al, you know Alabama, for all we know, ha- had issues of their own. You know, they just, maybe they didn't have guys that they had to uh, <clears throat> that they had to set out or whatever. But uh, you know, everyone's dealing with that, and Florida was dealing with it. You know, basically, well over half of their team had to sit out, you know, had to go into quarantine uh, last week due to this whole COVID situation. Um, this was a, f- a first SEC game. They were supposed to play last week against at Ole Miss, which game that got canceled because of this COVID pause. And, you know, this was not the debut they wanted here at home uh, to come out and uh, <laughs> have a stretch of, I believe it was 11 minutes and 15 seconds bridging the first and the second half where they didn't make a field goal. Instead, they went 0 for 10 from the floor during that time with nine turnovers. Hmm. And uh, you're not going to beat Alabama. You're not going to beat uh, uh, Ole Miss. You're not going to beat Vanderbilt. You're not going to beat anybody in the SEC like that. SEC is a great league this year, maybe the best league in the country, people were saying. Um, and Florida has – man, they got their work cut out for them now, Adam, because uh, uh, they get on the road. They go to Auburn, which is probably the best team in the SEC on Saturday. Then they're home next week against LSU – which is ranked 21st in the country. They beat Kentucky uh, Tuesday night. And then, uh, you know, maybe they get their breather the following game when they go to South Carolina because everyone knows they play South Carolina so well uh, as of late. So um, this, wasn't, this wasn't what they had in mind. You could tell they were dejected afterwards. Uh, but, hell, it's, it's one game. You know, you got 17, you got 17 more uh, on the schedule to, uh, to try to contend with. So it's back to work for these guys. And there were obviously there were a lot of things that didn't work in this, this Alabama game. Uh, but given the stretch that, that you mentioned it's coming up, um, where, where should the focus be? What does practice look like the next couple of days following what we saw against Alabama? You know, I don't know. There's a whole lot of things you can, you can shake up. I mean, uh, Colin Castleton, I, I mean, he had 19 points and seven rebounds. I, he played 30 minutes. I think he did pretty well. I mean, you look at shooting. I mean, Tyree Appleby was one for six from the floor, 0 for three from three. He had five assists. He also had four turnovers. I mean, his turnover ratio can't be that. Um, Myron Jones came into the game, um, uh, having made, I think four of his last 24 three point shots. Um, he started off over five from the three point line in this game. Um, he ended up making three in a row at one time in the second half that kind of helped them stage a little bit of a comeback. They got the game within five, uh, in the second half, uh, before Alabama, uh, with a couple turnovers, help from Florida, uh, got away. Jones has got, he's got to get a shot back and you know, they're confident he will. He's, he's firing away. He took 12 tonight. He only made three, of course. But he also has seven rebounds in the game. Um, so it's not like he's not doing anything else. I look at Anthony DeRuji, he took one shot. I think he has to be more active. He had six rebounds inside, and, and he mixes it up in there, and he plays hard. But I think he's got to be more aggressive around the basket and what have you. But, I um, mean, there's really only so much they can do. You can switch things around. I mean, C.J. Felder has been coming off the bench and playing well. Jason Tatobo has been coming off the bench and playing pretty well in limited minutes. But Felder had 12 points and six rebounds uh, tonight. Those are both uh, season highs for him since he's put on a Florida uniform. He's transferred from BC. Maybe he deserves some time, but uh, some more time rather. But um, bottom line, uh, I remember Billy Donovan, when they weren't rebounding, they would bring out this. He, he'd yell at the managers, get the bubble. And there probably was an expletive in there somewhere. And the managers would go get it and see the guys like, oh, God. And they knew it was coming because all it was was, a, was a, uh, just a, a meat grinder of guys banging into each other's bodies and everything. And I remember him walking off the court one time and I, I looked because you saw their, their body language when it, it was time to do this. Cause this was going to be a, a 20 minute exercise in killing each other. And I, he had to smile on his face as he's walking past me. I go, you love the bubble. He goes, yes, because they hate it. And <laughs> you know, may, maybe that's what 
they got to do is go back to simple things like that. But I know they're cap- more capable of rebounding this team. I mean, it's not like Alabama's this gigantic team. They do have a seven-footer, but he wasn't particularly uh, – his numbers weren't particularly great coming in. Um, but uh, – and, and the ball security is, is – I mean, that's decision-making. And the decision-making on this team right now, you got four guys in the lineup right now, four starters who have four turnovers in the game. Uh, you had another guy with three. You had two more guys with three. Uh, you know, those, those are, and I'm looking at it right now. Those six of your best players have, have at least three turnovers. I mean, that's, you know, it, it just, that just can't happen. And uh, this wasn't happening earlier in the season. They were defending better earlier in the season. They were more energetic than the opponent early in the season. And somehow they got to get back to that. Uh, but the farther away you get from it, the more you forget about how it felt to do it then. I don't know how they're going to manufacture that, but that's up, that's up to the coaches. And, and they, you know, they got to, and it's also up to the guys. The guys got to figure out what's important to them right now. Because again, if they think, let's say they put the bubble on the thing tomorrow. And I've never seen uh, the, the bubble since Billy Donovan's gone. But uh, if they think they're going to have a bloodbath in, in practice, I think practice is going to be hard. I mean, wait till they go up against Auburn and Jabari Smith, who's probably going to be the number one pick in the draft. I mean, all uh, Bruce Pearl's got it going there, man. They know what they're doing there. They have a blueprint. They play a certain way. They don't stop playing that certain way. And they're getting one five-star guy after another coming in there. And they have first-round picks every year. And they got that Auburn arena uh, uh, really uh, uh, a, a place that's really tough to go in there and and, and win. So uh, that's Florida's charge right now. It's not an easy one, but, you know, you, you know you got to get you got to get on the plane and go. I want to turn our attention now to football. Football is never out of the news. Um and Scott especially right now we are in the the throes of the transfer portal. Um so many people in, so many people coming out. It's actually it, it's like in in conjunction with the coaching carousel, it's sort of the new off-season thing that's just becoming more and more prevalent each year that that it's been around. Yes, it has, Adam. I mean, and there's a lot more people involved in the coaching carousel. You know, if you get 20 <laughs> or 25 coaches changing jobs after a year in Division One, that's a lot. I saw uh, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated tweet that in the last two months, there's been 3,000 players enter the transfer portal. Uh, of course, some of those go in and they realize that, hey, I don't have a lot of people after me, so they go out. You had a couple of Gators like that this week and. uh what uh, Dante Zanders and Lloyd Summerall, a couple of guys who had entered the transfer portal, and now they've both taken their name out. So as of this moment, you know, they're still uh, with the Gators, I guess, looking to resume their career. And then you have guys like Mahmoud Diabate, who finally found his uh, next spot at Utah, uh, the Gators' leading tackler. He had a great storyline, Adam. Well, I mean, he's at Utah, and guess who the Utah Utes opened the season against next year? They're at the Florida Gators in the swamp. So, yeah. so Diabate, uh, his first game at Utah will be a familiar one. But that's just where we are in college football. We're going to be talking about crazy coincidences like that from here on out, and unless the rules change again to maybe stem some of this. But, you know, I just think it's, it's where we're at. I don't see it really being reined back in because coaches are moving all over the place. Uh, the players – a lot of those guys, a lot of fans think they deserve the same rights. And yeah, yeah, I have no problem with it. I mean, I just hope as we've talked before, Adam, I think on this podcast, you know, when you have a, a young guy like that who's seriously thinking about making a move, you just hope that he's getting good advice from whether it's his coaches 
whether it's his parents, whether it's his advisors, because, you know, you see a lot of guys, they get out there and it seemed like they just disappear or they, they say, okay, I'm going to go back to my original school. And, and it probably hurts them in some ways because, uh, you know, you do that and that you kind of turn your back on your team. And that's not going to be well received by some people. Well, the thing about the transfer portal too, and, and I feel like not enough people understand this. Entering the transfer portal doesn't mean that you're definitely leaving, but it's the mechanism that you have to to employ mm-hmm. if you want to have other teams that can reach out and talk to you. So I think that's I think there is some confusion about what exactly the transfer portal is. It's merely a way to explore transferring, not a pledge that you are a hundred percent leaving. Uh, yeah, exactly right. I mean. And what it does through the rules, it allows schools to to contact you and it lets them know that you are exploring your options. And, and players can also, if they put their name in the transfer portal, there's a, there's a mechanism within the portal that if you don't want to be contacted, you can, you can label yourself as that. So you're the guy who's maybe you have three or four schools you really want to see about. You put your name in the portal and you contact them. And I think once you uh, put your name in, I think the compliance of your school has 48 hours to to get you uploaded into the transfer portal. So there's a lot of there's a lot of little tidbits uh, that you know go into it. But essentially, I look at it as uh, you're saying, okay, I'm going to explore my options. Uh, no different than you or me if we if we want to put our resume online and say, hey, I'm working here right now, but I'd like to maybe. Uh, look elsewhere. Of course, it's a little different than college athletics. They're not uh, employees; they're student athletes. But it's the same kind of gist, you know. And it's just the I'm fascinated by just where college athletics is going. Oh, and I don't have all the answers. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. But the the transfer portal has just been a, another eye opener in the evolution that we've seen in the last really five or six years. And I think we're still several years away from what it's eventually going to settle on for maybe an extended period. Well, and another component of it that I think has become the highest profile because, I mean, it, it always comes back to quarterbacks in college football, right? I mean, even, I mean, the NFL football is about quarterbacks and there's almost this specialty tier of the quarterback specific transfer portal with so many big names going into it. Guys, you wouldn't have expected to leave their current situations um, Oklahoma lost both of their quarterbacks to the transfer portal, for example. Um, but for Florida, there's a couple of storylines here coming in and then going out or maybe not going out. So let's talk about the, the two cases here. Uh, first, who's coming in from Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, if you follow uh, the Gators on social media, you know, Jack Miller arrived on campus Wednesday uh or Tuesday afternoon, I guess, met up with Coach Napier and some others. And he's a transfer from a high state. He's from Arizona, I think was the in the top 10 or 15 prospects as far as pro style quarterback prospects in the class of 2020. Went to Ohio State, of course, when uh, what CJ Strouds is playing there, you're probably not gonna get a lot of play in time. So he he looked for other options, of course. He lands at Florida, a perfect opportunity because you have a a new coach in Billy Napier who's looking to kind of revamp the program. And then you have a quarterback at Florida, one guy, Anthony Richardson, who who was hurt and was unable to play in the uh, Gasparilla Bowl, 
but certainly looks to be a big part of the program's future. And then you have Emory Jones, who uh, made it known before the Gasparilla Bowl that he was going to enter the transfer portal. And, of course, the Gators, when they reconvened after the new year in a team meeting, and then Billy Napier is, you know, getting really his era underway after a month on the job. He uh, guess who's there? Emory Jones is there, and reports come out that well, he has not technically entered the transfer portal. So it adds a little bit of a new wrinkle with Emory because I think most people just assume that he was out. So uh, until he talks and and discusses his decision making, I, I was in the room there at the Yasrilla Bowl after the game, and, and he really didn't want to go down that road too far. And he did leave it open as an option that. You know, UF could still be in the in this future. So, as of this moment, that's what's that's the case. And um, does that mean that he'll be here after the spring and through the summer when the Gators start next year? I have no idea. I don't. I don't know if anybody knows that right now. But maybe Emory, what his ultimate plans are. But if he is back, and you have Miller, you have Jones, you have Richardson, you have a couple of true freshmen last year and Kitna and Carlos Del Rio Wilson. So it certainly uh, creates some competition and questions at the quarterback position, which uh, to me as a coach, if I'm a coach, that's always a good thing. I don't think you can have too much competition, especially at that position. Uh, But when the season opens, will the Gators have five quarterbacks on the roster, uh, five scholarship quarterbacks? It seems unlikely. Uh, So maybe that means a position change for a guy or two. Uh, maybe it means ultimately a transfer. Uh, we're all going to find out. But you're right, Adam. Uh, no other position scrutinized like quarterbacks. And if you play quarterback with the Gators, you know that. And Emory Jones certainly knows that. And uh, he's just added a little new wrinkle to his story <laughs> with, yeah. with not entering the portal yet. Well, and, and you mentioned position changes. I think that's what a lot of people are, are presuming may be going on with Emory Jones. And if you if you think about it, for someone who's later in their career – who, you know, as you noted, maybe has seen some of the writing on the wall. Uh, There's a long history of guys who have changed positions, especially quarterbacks, really athletic guys uh, that are, you know, that are impressive running with the ball in their hands who have gone uh, to different parts of the field. I mean, you could easily see him as a wide receiver. I mean, I think there's also a part that says maybe he realizes that if he has a future in football beyond college, it's not at the quarterback position and it's best to figure that out now then later, right? Yeah, no, I mean, he's in a good spot if that's the way he's thinking. I think when you look at Emory, the quarterback, his first year as a full-time starter certainly had a lot of growing pains. Uh, His accuracy, while he completed quite a high percentage of his passes, I mean, some throws that you just see top-notch quarterbacks, man, he would miss on occasion. But there's no denying that he's very dangerous as a dual-threat quarterback with what he could do with his feet, led the Gators in rushing, and so – if the, if the position changes there, and that's something that Henry's considering or that he's been presented with the coaching staff, I think it's very smart of him to uh, consider that because you're right. We've seen other guys uh, do that in the past. And the name I remember Michigan guy, was it Denard Robinson a few years ago? Yeah, I, Robinson, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, he was a guy that, you know, he made an impact in the NFL as a receiver. And I'm sure there's been many more. I'm just – they're slipping my mind right now. Matt Jones from Arkansas, remember? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly been a, uh, a case of that happening in the past. And I think Emory fits that mold. He's a he's a good guy with the the ball in his hands. He's a good runner, 
And I've always been impressed. He's always been able to kind of avoid that really big hit. He just has a knack, and that's imperative if you're going to touch the ball a lot as a runner or a receiver. And, of course, position of need because of another player that went in the portal for the Gators after the Gasparilla Bowl, Jacob Copeland, is now at Maryland. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're losing him. They've got shorter back. They've got some young guys like Xavier Henderson and Jamarcus Weston, but I don't think they're overstocked there in any way. So if Emory is considering that and that's an option that he has, uh, might be something we see down the road. But I think right now it's mostly speculation. But I, I, we've talked about Emory here. I mean, you know, he, he had a rough season at times. I, I really like the way he, he handled himself. And ultimately, I like, I like to see those guys kind of um, have success by the time they're done in college football. And hopefully uh, that's going to happen for Emory, uh, whether it's at Florida or somewhere else. Before we move on from football completely here, at least for the day, uh, I know there's some other some other early enrollees that have come on campus as well, Scott. So there's there's guys actively coming in right now, not just pledging to come in in the future. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you got obviously one of the new arrivals, which he committed in December, was Kamari Wilson, the five-star defensive back. He arrived on campus this week with a, a, an offensive lineman that just joined the program, Cameron Waits. Uh, uh a freshman who played three games out at Louisiana uh, for Billy Napier this past season, uh, six foot eight, about 360 pounds. Wow. So he certainly had beef uh, to the offensive line. Uh, he's obviously a developing player. Like I said, he, he didn't crack the field until late in the season out at Louisiana. Uh, but we've seen that with uh, another guy, Christian Williams, another offensive lineman who had originally signed with Louisiana. Uh, who flipped his commitment to the Gators after Napier took over. So Cameron Waits is a little different. He had already enrolled and played for a season, but now he's transferring to Florida and is already in school. Uh, so, yeah, and we're going to see uh, – there's going to be uh, several more players added here in the next month or so uh, with the the signing day coming up. So that's something that we'll just have to keep an eye on. But, uh, yeah, the roster is fluid, Adam. Okay, well, we are actually going to move on from football now, and I want to talk about gymnastics. You know, we're we're at this point now, the year has turned, and suddenly you're going to have a lot of sports that start to pop up and begin their seasons. And for Florida, one of the best is always gymnastics. Uh, tell us a little bit about this year's team for, for Jenny Rowland and, and the expectations. Hey, you know, gymnastics, it's a, it's a fun sport, Adam. It's something that we've talked about over the years on the podcast about how you know, I, I'd never covered a gymnastics program ever before taking this job. And and now you you kind of see how these athletes work and how good they are at what they do. I really developed a respect for them. And Jenny Rowland, I think she's entering, gosh, either her sixth or seventh season. That went by fast. But she has another great team. Uh, they're opening the season ranked number two. Uh, they're going to be a national title contender. It's a team that has a great mix of, of veterans, of middle classmen, and, and newcomers like a freshman, Leanne Wong, who, you know, she just raved about uh, this week. Jenny, I'm talking about Jenny Rowland when she started talking about freshman Leanne Wong. I mean, she's she's one of those, uh, you know, in football they're called five stars. I don't know what they call them in gymnastics. So I'm gonna I'll just call her a five star. She's a, or a five star. Yeah, she's a great future building block of the program. And she's joined a program that obviously has Trinity Thomas, who Gator fans will be very happy to know that her ankles are healed. Uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny Rowland said 
she's looking as good as she has in a long time. She's had some injury problems uh, the last couple of years. And when healthy, Trendy Thomas is without question one of the top two or three, four college gymnasts in the country. Uh, but unfortunately, the last couple of years, she's had injury problems at crunch time. So they have 18 gymnasts on the roster. It's one of the biggest rosters in, in the history of the program, if not the biggest. So they're going to be able to use different lineup combinations than they have before. They're going to be able to rest people maybe at times when they haven't been able to in the past. And you can just tell from talking to Jenny Rowland uh, this week, she's excited about the season opener uh, Friday night at the O-Dome. You got uh, Rutgers, uh, Northern Illinois, and Texas Women's University in what they call a quad meet. Uh, it's a meet that Florida should obviously take care of business. It's a great chance for them, as of now, as we record this, Adam, to get it back out there in front of a full house finally for the first time in two years. Hopefully that stays intact from everything I know at this moment it is. So, you know, they're excited about that and they're excited about this team. And, uh, you know, some fan favorites are back. Megan Skaggs, I wrote about her. Uh, if you want to check out FloridaGators.com, fans love her. She's got a cool NIL deal uh, with the uh, her hairstyle that's – She's trying to help some charities. Alyssa Ballman's back for six year. How many times do you see a six year gymnast? I don't think we've ever seen one. No. So she's back. Um, so it's going to be an interesting season. And and if they stay healthy and they perform the way that they know they can, we're going to be talking about another trip to the to the NCAA championships and maybe this time finally that first national title since they won those what three in a row. 13, 14, 15, I think it was. Yeah, they came close last year. They, they had a lot of the momentum, I remember, early in the season. And then, as you noted, the injuries came around and, and really derailed that from happening. Um, but always in the conversation, always a threat to a national championship. And we look forward to following their progress through this spring. Um, I want to turn our attention now to our PAT, which was inspired by the bizarre circus surrounding Antonio Brown. Um, I wasn't watching live when this happened, but when you started to hear about it over the weekend, it was almost one of those things you couldn't believe until you saw it. And even when you saw it, you were thinking, wait, is, is this really happening right now in an NFL game with a you know long-term professional athlete? Um, just a, a really bizarre scene. Obviously, Antonio Brown has always been a little bit different. And there also are legitimate questions as to whether or not there is some, some mental illness going on that's contributing to this, which obviously makes it uh, a much sadder story, which Tom Brady kind of alluded to in his comments. Um, but it made me think about over the years, you guys have covered so many teams, so many athletes. It's hard to get as strange as this, but I'm just curious if you can think of some of the weirdest situations that you've covered, whether it was a player who was just a, a different guy or a, a particular situation like this, that was just kind of unprecedented in, in a lot of ways. Well, I always joke with a couple of my rider friends who covered the devil rays during the same time that I did in their early years when they were really bad, the pre pre Joe Madden years. And we always joked that we could literally write a book about just crazy stuff. Some <laughs> of it public, some of it not that no one would buy the book, but if anyone ever picked it up and started reading it, they wouldn't be able to lay it down because it'd be funny. And you, you this really happened. <laughs> so yeah, I, I got a few stories, Adam. I mean, you know, those, those devil race teams back then were just, they had what, what I always called it. It was the best minor league team ever to play in the majors. That's kind of my <laughs> nickname. 
platform because most of those guys, if not for the Delores and the, the expansion in, in the early years when they were struggling, a lot of those guys would have never sniffed the major leagues, but because they were in the Delores organization, they got there and it just created some, Unique situations. I mean, I, they had a number one draft pick uh, when you're Dewan Brazelton, a uh, pitcher who was a great college baseball pitcher at Middle Tennessee State. I think he went in the top five. And I remember it started off rough for Dewan right at his press conference at Tropicana Field because the negotiations kind of lagged with him longer into the summer than a lot of people expected. And then he finally signs and he gets to the trop and he's around. And, he's, and he just blurts out, like, you know, what took so long. He says, yeah, man, I mean, you know, I wasn't going to sign for any chump chains like they were trying to give me. Of course, he signed for $4 million. So <laughs> that did not go over well. But then the one one time got lost. Up, We were up in New York, Rays, Yankees, doubleheader. You know, second game of a doubleheader. He's supposed to pitch, and he still hasn't shown up between games. And Lou Pinella's hot, and nobody knows what happened to him. So they have to scratch him. And then after the game, Pinella was still hot. And, you know, I, I don't remember. I'd have to go back and read what I wrote, but I just remember that he was, he was furious with Brazelton that, you know, he's a major league pitcher and he's showing up late for a double header at Yankee stadium. Are you yeah. kidding me? And he's like, yeah, the kid took the uh, subway to Ebbets field over in Brooklyn. He thought it still stood. <laughs> of course it's been going for like 50 years. So, right. You know, I mean, just weird players, though. I mean, I I, I went to cover – the Devil Rays had two pitchers get shot in the same season. Adam. Really? Yeah, Delvin James and Nick Beerbrout. I mean, two young pitchers in the Rays organization, both nice enough guys when you talk to them. I mean, I enjoyed whenever I talked to them. You knew that they probably were lucky to be where they were at the time. But Delvin James gets shot in a Waffle House up in the Carolinas, and Nick Beerbrout got shot, uh, you know, in the side. I mean – Needless to say, they they didn't have long major league careers. Uh, another guy, Delman Young. You want to know a a crusty guy to deal with? Delman Young. He was one of the crustiest guys you can ever deal with. I remember him getting in a big fight and getting suspended in the uh, the minors before he ever got to uh, the Rays and uh, and ripping the franchise before he ever played a game in the majors. I was on a press conference after him winning minor league player of the year. He's already ripping the Rays for being, you know, kind of like a, a frugal franchise before he's even played a game. <laughs> so, story after story. I, remember, I mean, I would just have to go back to Eric and I'd have to write them all down to remember them all. But they were owned by a man named Vince Namoli, and he was he was the heart of it all. Uh, he once tried to kick a high school band out of Trop after they sung the national anthem because they weren't going to pay. So needless to say, that did not go well. And it got so bad one year that Lou Pinella, in trying to inspire the team, he decided to dye his hair blonde and it became a media event. So we had a lot of fun covering those teams, Adam. It's funny because uh, uh, when I covered the NFL, um, I, we would go to the Combine every year and I was in this um, uh, writers group of the Pro Football Writers Association and and there was obviously over 300 players there and you would be assigned a guy to, to write about. And this, they, the, the people doing the, the assigning, you would, you would interview this person and then put the quotes uh, into the system so that everybody could have access to them if they wanted to. And uh, <laughs> they would always try to slant at someone like uh, Chris, there's Chris Harry's from Orlando center. Hey, we're giving you a guy, a kid from Florida. 
He's this he's this receiver from Central Michigan. It was Antonio Brown, by the way, who was for, who's from <laughs> Miami, actually. Wow. So I I actually interviewed uh, Antonio Brown at the combine. Uh, I want to say it was probably 2008, maybe was would have would have been 2007, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what year that was. Um, I can assure you, he he was on his best behavior uh, during dur- during that particular moment. I I got nothing along the lines of kind of Scott's crazy stuff or, or anything about a player uh, uh, walking off the field. But I will say this, when you, when you cover Warren Sapp, you're going to see some stuff. 2002, which happened to be the year the Bucks won the Super Bowl, um, used to be able to go on the field after the game. Or you'd be there toward, for the last six minutes. You were allowed to go down and be on the field at the game. And they were in a close game with, uh, with the Packers and Brett Favre. And you, everyone, every the, the Sap Far rivalry was stuff that, that was great highlight stuff. John Madden would gush about it if you if you can recall, like the, those two guys when they'd go after each other in the, uh, when the two Bays were playing. But uh, there was a Far through an interception late in the game, and as who somebody was running it back, I want to say it might have been Brian Kelly or whoever's running back. Sap uh, hits Chad Clifton, who was an offensive tackle for Green Bay, kind of blindside hits him. It would be a hit now that would get him ejected. Okay, it's one one of the and and Chad Clifton was was prone on the ground and I think I think it ended his season if I'm not mistaken. He had some serious uh, issues after that. Uh, uh, anyway, but after the game and I and we're down on the field and the coach of the Green Bay Packers was Mike Sherman. He went whatever by John Gruden and shook his hand so and he went right up to Sap and got in Sap's face and started going and Sap. Starts going, put a jersey on, man. Put a jersey on right now. And it, they weren't backing off at all. And it's like they were going to fight. Wow. And to me, that was the strangest postseason thing I'd ever been around. To see a, 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 you know, a Hall of Fame player and a head NFL coach, like in each other's face, be having to be separated or something like that. That's probably the closest thing I've ever been involved with in terms of a, of, of a moment like that. I will say that I was a year late, I think, covering the Bucks when I was still uh, here in Gainesville before they sent me. Tim, there was a guy at <laughs> there was a guy for the Bucks. Dungey cut him on like the last cut, and he left and came back with a gun. <laughs> what? <laughs> because he was pissed. Yes, he was pissed and came back with a gun. And and yeah, that's a story that people were talked about before I got there. But the cops had to come and take him because he was not happy that he got cut and decided to. That, that he had something to say and he and he had and he had a case to plead, but uh, I don't I don't I don't think they claimed him off waivers after that. In fact, I'm not sure anybody claimed him off waivers after that. But that's that's one kind of weird story that I may have been able to put up against this Antonio Brown one, but one that I'm kind of glad that that I uh, wasn't a part of. There probably won't be anything too strange coming out of the world of the Gators in the next week, but if it if there is. Uh, Chris and Scott will be writing about it, so make sure to check them out, all their content on FloridaGators.com, and of course, on Twitter for the latest updates, at GatorsChris, at GatorsScott, uh, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much. All right, Adam. Thanks, man. Given the bevy of new players that arrived this season, there's no shortage of fresh personalities to meet on the men's basketball squad. That includes Myron Jones, or MJ for short, though that nickname can carry a lot of weight on the hardwood. Arriving via an indirect route from Birmingham and then Penn State, we began our chat with Jones by learning about his humble beginnings. 
Um, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, my mom, dad, sister. Um, we a real close family. Um, everybody plays sports. Um, I think my dad put the ball in my hands, me and my sister's hands, and we took off from there. Honestly, do you know why they put a basketball in your hands first? Like, why was was that your was that your dad's favorite sport? I and mean, what was it about basketball that was uh, that was the the entry point for you? Uh, I think it's just because like my dad played. Uh, he was pretty good when he played basketball, and you know the whole family really like just played basketball. Like, every, like go you go um, down like my whole entire family. A lot of people played basketball, so I think it was just it really was just in the family, and I just went along with it. So when did you realize basketball was was something that that could take you places? Was there like a moment where? everything really clicked or I don't know if it's something when you were a little bit older where you felt like, Oh man, I, I could, I could do this and, and I could go places with this. Yeah. I say when I was in middle school, um, when I started playing against kids, my age, the game has slowed down. Um, it became real simple to me. And I, I think I expanded my game just by trying new things against people my age. And then, you know, once I got to like high school, I was a freshman playing on varsity against like seniors and juniors, and you know, I I saw that I I was still able to do what I was doing in middle school, and that's when I realized, you know, if I like just keep getting better every year, like the sky's the limit. So growing up in in Birmingham, the way I understand it as an outsider is if you're in the state of Alabama. Uh, you've got to go one way. You got to either be an Auburn guy. You got to be an Alabama guy. Uh, where where did your family fall on this uh, the, this this side of the of the the rivalry? Um, that's funny because you know my uncle and aunt they're Alabama fans, but you know my household we are not Alabama fans. Um, my dad's a Florida fan. I'm a Georgia fan. How did yeah. how did that happen? How like there wasn't. It wasn't like the whole house has to decide we're going to be Alabama, we're going to be Auburn. No, nah, no, nah, I don't know. I just, you know, when I when I got into that stuff, I just picked off my dad. You know, I was around him a lot when I was young, and he was always a Florida fan. But I didn't want to be a Florida fan because that's when they had like Tebow and everybody, and they were winning. So I didn't want to seem like I was like like on the bandwagon. So you know, <laughs> I I went I went somewhere else, and you know, one of my I, I really like. When I was younger, I was a big fan of, like, Georgia colors, like the the red and black. And so I just, you know, as a kid, I just said, yeah, I'm going to go with them. And I stuck with them every since. <laughs> okay, so we just hit a lot of SEC schools in there. Um, but that's not where you ended up going when, when you started college. So tell us a little bit about the recruiting process and uh, and, and what you remember of, about that time. Yeah, um, I didn't really get a lot of office well big office when I was in high school. Um I had transferred to a prep school my senior year of high school just so I could, you know, expand my game and get better offers that I thought I was I was uh worth getting. But when I was when I was in my senior year, I had narrowed my list down to just Walford and Memphis. And, you know, I ultimately decided to go to Memphis. Um, but then, like, a month later, they fired Tubby after the season, and I had decommitted. <clears throat> and it was so late. It was so late into the recruiting process. It was, like, May when I decommitted. And, you know, in June, that's when people start, you know, their team workouts and stuff. So 
I had to make a decision fast. And, you know, Penn State was they, – they was one of the schools that hit me up right away. And, you know, I built a connection with Coach Chambers and Coach Ergo right away. And when I went on my visit, I just loved it and committed there. When you think about your, your time at Penn State, what stands out to you? Obviously, it's it's a big school. It's got a lot of tradition, uh, many of the things that, that Florida has. So what do you remember about your time at Penn State? Uh, really just all the like connections I made there. Um, being a part of the Penn State tradition, it was it was pretty cool. You know, when you think about college, that's exactly what you think about, like the school traditions and stuff. And, you know, it, it was fun and when I got there, it really wasn't a basketball school, and I think my sophomore year, we kind of made it into a basketball school, which was pretty cool. Like, it was cool to see, like, everybody going to football and basketball the same year, so I think that's what I, I remember the most and loved about when I was there. What was it that ultimately made you want to move on uh, this year, and, and, and why was Florida the, the right choice when you did to make that decision? I mean, when they fired uh, Coach Chambers, uh, I kind of knew right away because I kind of had an idea that the staff that was there wasn't going to be there this year. So I kind of already knew I wanted to leave. But, um, you know, when I went through the portal and talked to all the coaches I did, you know, I felt like Florida was the best, was the best fit for me. And, you know, it was a little closer to home. So my parents could see me, like, play a lot more my senior year instead of me being a uh, forward like I was in the Big Ten. But, you know, just when I talked to Coach White and t- Coach Pinkins, you know, they told me uh, how I could fit their system. They was real with me. They didn't promise me anything. And, you know, when I thought about it and sat down with my parents, parents about it, um, it just seemed like the right fit for me at the time. You know, it's interesting because hearing your description of, of what led you to Florida – uh, it's very similar to what a lot of the other players I talked to say, especially about the conversations with the coaching staff and and not being promised anything. What is it about that approach that's appealing to you, to the guys on this team? Because it seems like you know there's a lot of players that want to, they just want to hear you know how great they are and how they're going to be given this and that. But it seems like like this program specifically attracts guys who do not get those those promises and those assurances what do you think that it says about the the mindset uh i can say for me personally uh i i don't like when coaches do that because i feel like you know maybe they telling other people the same thing they telling me and you know i i just i appreciate them just being real with me and just not promise me anything and let me know i gotta work for what i want and you know I think everybody came in this year. They came. We came from you know humble beginnings. You know, uh, we didn't get everything that we wanted. So you know, coming here, all of us got a chip on our shoulder, and we just want to win. That's that's really it. Both Penn State and Florida are big schools, and you mentioned you know both have that same kind of big time college experience, that atmosphere. Um, in what ways are they similar, and what ways are they different? Uh, they're different for sure by the weather. I tell you that the weather is very different. Um, but they're very similar in like you know how the campus is, or you know just just the traditions they got going on, like the the pad, like the football, the history of football at both schools are about the same. Um, Florida's a little more uh, got more cheesiness in basketball, but you know. I say just really just the tradition and stuff is kind of the same. And 
really the difference is just like the people there, you know, a lot of Penn State, it was more like New York, D.C., Philly type uh, type people that go there. And then here in Florida, you know, you can get really just anybody from the South, honestly. So I, think, I feel like those are just the big differences that I noticed. How did you handle the weather? Because I know it, it snows a lot up there, too. I don't know if you'd ever dealt with snow before down in, in the in Birmingham. But uh, how did you handle some of the uh, the, the harsher temperatures there? Yeah, it, it was hard my first year. My first year, I, I didn't want to come back to that. And, you know, it, it would be cold and snowing from, like, October to March. And I was mm. like, man, they didn't tell me about this. They said it was going <laughs> to be cold. They said it was going to be cold, but they didn't say it was going to be, like, snow and, like, snowstorms and all that. But, you know, as years go by, you know, I don't get what anybody said. You don't get used to that cold. You don't get used to it. But, you know, you have to adjust. And I think I did a good job adjusting to it. Hmm. Now, you go by MJ as a nickname. Um, I It feels like there would be pressure that comes with that. Uh, is there any, any weight that comes with a nickname like MJ and being a basketball mm. player? Yeah, no, no, no. It's no pressure at all. I don't even think about that. And, I don't think people look at me like that. Like, um, I have to live up to that name or something. So, there's no pressure. When you think about athletes who inspire you, who you look up to, who you want to play like, which athletes are on that list for you? Um, I I watch a lot of, you know, Damian Lillard, um, Chris Paul, Bradley Beal, a little bit of Steph Curry, you know. I just I just like guards that are able to create their own shot and like just different ways to score off of pick and rolls and you know mid range and threes you know I just I just like those type of guards that are like that good scores really mm-hmm. so those are the people I just really watch and try to take a few things from. I mean, what specifically have you taken away from watching those guys? What's something recent you could think of that you saw and you tried to incorporate into your game? Yeah. Um, uh, for example, like Chris Paul, you know, how he just destroyed, like, people in the pick and rolls and how he's able to, like, hit the right read every time or, you know, just kill them in the mid-range. Um, that, that's really what I just picked up from him. And, you know, just Stephen Curry, you know, just moving, consistent, consistently, like, just moving off the ball, like, just trying to have that um, – Basically, like, staying in shape, um, being able to keep moving without the balls and stuff. And, you know, Damian Lillard, how he's able to create his own shot. And, you know, Bradley Beal able to create his own shot off the dribble. And those are just things that I will pick, uh, pick up on. Uh, when you have some time away from the court, what do you like to do outside of basketball? I, I really just stay in my room, play the game, uh, watch movies, um, I have a podcast, so I do that every night. I haven't done it a lot lately because of the season. It's been kind of busy. So, but other than, other than that, there's nothing. I'm really chill. I just I'm either in the gym or in my room. Honestly. Now you mentioned your podcast. So I was going to ask you about that. Um, what inspired you to to start that, and and what is it about? Uh, so when it started during quarantine, uh, when the pandemic first happened, uh, me and my teammate. You know, we were joking about it. I was joking saying, you know, um, I'm about to start a podcast because my coach, he wanted he wanted all of us to, you know, stay connected um, like we were the year before. But, you know, COVID stopped all that. And I was just 
being funny, saying, you know, I'm going to just start a podcast. And, you know, I guess he took it serious. And, you know, he sent me, like, a a Photoshop of, like, our logo and stuff, what it'll look like. And I'm like, yo, that's dope. And I said, let's go with it. And, you know, really, <clears throat> when we started, we just did it to, like, we did it to, like, interview, like, my teammates and just talk about their college experience, their life experience, and, like, different stories they they went through some like how 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 are we doing this right here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I was doing it with my teammates, and then people were saying, you know, you should try doing like other sports or other athletes from different schools um, because you just the audience would grow outside of just Penn State. It would go it would go worldwide really um, because of the different athletes at the different schools. So um, that's really what it was about. Um, we just wanted to talk about like athlete stories, how they got to where they are now, and like, you know, memories that they they went through and different events that they remember that was special to them. What have you learned from doing that? I mean, is there other stories you've heard where you've taken things from it that have that have helped you on, on your journey? I would say just I didn't really take anything from it because, you know, everybody has like everybody's different. Everybody has their own stories and they went through different paths. But I would say I, the biggest thing I get from it is like just the connections and friendships. You know, when we start interviewing people from different schools, you know, I didn't really know them, but like once we did the interviews, I feel like like a lot of us are the same. You know, all the athletes we really go through a lot um, at our schools. You know, you would think, you know, oh this guy goes to like Duke or Kentucky, like you know he got it all, but you know we really all go through the same thing and, you know, it just builds friendships and connections that last a long time. Hmm. Who have been the, the best guests that you've had? Who really impressed you when they, they came on and, and just brought it? You know, we did Brad Davidson at Wisconsin. And, you know, Brad Davidson, he really gets this, this thing where people just think he's a, a dirty player and stuff. And he's really, a, he really, he's really a good dude. And, you know, hearing from his point of view, how um, people like view him is real eye-opening that people just judge you based off what they see, not as you the person that's off the court and stuff. And so I would say that was that was the one that really caught my attention. And, you know, me and Brad are good friends now. Hmm. So plug the podcast for us. Tell us what's it called. Where can people find it? Uh, it's called The Midnight Domino Show. Um, and you can find it on all streams, you know, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can find it on all the platforms. Where where did the name come from? Midnight Domino. Where, what was the inspiration <laughs> for that? Uh, so when I was at Penn State uh, my freshman year, it was like Christmas break and, you know, all the athletes, we still on campus and I was just bored. And I was in my dorm room and me and my roommate, we just like, you know, let's use this um, nickname generator because we were just bored. And I put my name in, and it gave me the name Midnight Domino. And that's what folks at uh, Penn State was calling me that whole year. <laughs> and so that's where, that's, where, that's where the name came from. <laughs> um, a couple of final things for you. One of the, the things that I discovered also from looking into your background and, and some of what you're doing on, on social media, uh, you've really embraced the, the NIL opportunities that have come. Um, can you just talk about how that's really changed the game for athletes and and what it's been like navigating that? Because again, it's it's very new, and I know people are still sort of trying to figure out how to you know how to 
incorporate that into their into their college experience. So what's that been like for you and, and what do you see that going forward? Yeah, I think NIL is really gonna change how recruiting goes. You know, I think people are gonna go to certain schools based on what NIL opportunity they can get. Um, like you go to a small school, you might not get as much as a person at a bigger school. And, you know, I, I feel like coaches I don't know if coaches can, but I feel like they'll start, you know, saying, hey, our players here get a lot of NIL deals or the community is good with uh, helping you get NIL deals and stuff. So I don't know if that would play a factor, but I I do think NIL is going to change how recruiting goes and where players go and stuff. And then for me, it really hasn't affected me a lot. You know, I feel feel like it really is just just some, like, extra money or something, Mm -hmm. but... I mean, just to pay for rent, because rent is crazy. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, I just hope that it doesn't get in the way of how people perform on the court, you know. People have to remember basketball is still first, and NIL is the extra, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like you just have to worry about your basketball, and you take care on the court, and the other stuff will take care of yourself. So this this team has been referred to as Team Transfer. Uh, so many new guys that have come in from other programs. What is it that you think has made this group work? With all the new pieces, so many guys that never met before, how has the chemistry worked so well despite so many new pieces? Yeah, it, it's, it's honestly crazy because you, you, like you, like you said, you would think well, all these people transferring with all their own accolades at their own school, you know, it'll be hard to get chemistry, but luckily we had chemistry right away. I don't know how we did, but it just worked right away. And, you know, like I said earlier, all of us had like that home, those humble beginnings. And, you know, we came here to win, um, which I think all of us have that in mind when we're playing with each other. So we know we got to do what's best for the team to win. And we're an older group. So, you know, all that other stuff really doesn't matter. We, we I feel like we accomplished everything, like personally. It's a winning, and that's all our goal is right now. Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of guys are you know trying to win. That's what they wanted to to make this change. That's kind of the obvious thing. Um, but on top of that, what else do you hope to accomplish in in your time at Florida? It's obviously not going to be as long as as uh, as you were at Penn State. But what are your big picture goals for your time as, as a Gator? Be a great teammate. Be a great leader. You know. I don't, I don't really care about the accolades and stuff, you know. I feel like just winning is the biggest accolade I could get here. Um, and, you know, I just want to be a part of that team that that brings that winning and that flowing back to Florida how it used to be. Hopefully I can I can get something out of it at the end of the year for myself personally. But, you know, I know if I win, everybody wins. So that's, that's how I look at it. Well, Myron, as a fellow podcaster, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with us, and good luck as you enter the SEC. All right, thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. 
please stay safe and go Gators.